the screen? Yeah. Okay, reading from Luke chapter 2, from verse 41 to 52. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. My parents once told me of their distress when I went missing after school one day. Uh, the school playground gradually became empty. And so they rang the police after calling around to everyone they could think of, hoping for the best but fearing for the worst. Uh, the emotional response really starts to cloud the memory and any sort of reasonable explanation. Find my family or Google Maps was a thing. And my dad, dad said that after several hours, the police told him that the police helicopter was on standby, ready to help with the search. Uh, but before that was needed, to their great relief, mum finally remembered that I'd just organised to go and play with a new friend after school that day. So they found me safe and sound, utterly oblivious to their distress. And it's safe to say they didn't lose me again, and I think that's, especially when I hit six foot three and a half, I'm pretty hard to miss, ask my family. Uh, today we're looking at this account of Jesus when he went missing from his family. And it's an intriguing passage and how we apply it to our lives. So it'd be great if you can have your Bible open or that sermon outline there as we unpack this together. So we're going to be searching for Jesus. Uh, let's go to that one. Can we go to the next slide? That one? There we go. Um, I'm not sure, but we know nothing of Jesus' boyhood apart from this one incident that Luke alone reports on. Can I suggest to you then that this is important 
and we have it here for a reason. So look with me at verse 41, because we're off on a journey straight up. Every year, his parents travelled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. So you travel up to Jerusalem from elsewhere in Israel. Having trouble with this thing today. There we go. Uh, Even though it's going south from Nazareth, you're actually going upwards in elevation. And it involves about 130-odd kilometres, and they'd be travelling in convoy, probably to do with safety in numbers, as well as going together a bit like a family holiday in January uh, without the tarago and the dog. Uh, The Old Testament says that Jewish men are required at the temple three times a year. So this was one of Joseph's and Mary's many trips to Jerusalem. And significantly, it was for the Passover. That was a festival that was celebrated all about Israel's deliverance. And so isn't that interesting that the new exodus is about to arrive? And so their 12-year-old son comes with them this year. And 12 years was regarded as the age of discernment. And it's likely that this trip was in preparation for the following year where Jesus would become a son of the covenant at his bar mitzvah. That's what bar mitzvah actually stands for, son of the covenant at the age of 13. So that highlights for us that this is a time of preparation and learning for Jesus. So verse 43, after though Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it, assuming he was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. When they began looking for him among his relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. So Jesus stays behind but his parents don't realise up until verse 44. An assumption is made. Mary and Joseph look at each other. I thought he was with you. You ever had that moment? And the impact was actually immensely traumatising. They're a full day's journey from where they'd come from. So there's a frantic search among the caravan of travellers that then proved... If this was one of our kids and they uh, had run out of battery on their phone, well, I'd be checking the local swimming pools, the nearest shopping mall, anywhere flat for skateboarding, uh, maybe a cricket ground or two. And it takes another full day to return to Jerusalem. And just imagine the scenarios being played out in their heads. Was he taken? And you need to understand that that was a serious risk for the time. A 12-year-old would make a perfect target for the slave trade, with a life full of work ahead of him. And they've travelled through some dangerous territory, through Samaria, which was known for its criminal gangs. Kidnapping was actually not out of the question. That was a thing at the time. I don't know whether there's a part of Melbourne that you wouldn't travel through or walk through without having other people around you. Uh, All this would go through your head if you couldn't find your kid and you'd gone through such an area. You'd be sick with worry. And then back in Jerusalem, well, that would just would have been packed with people. Any of the festivals, like, tripled the population and then some uh, all through the year. And, And trying to find someone in the city when the tennis is on and you don't have a mobile phone, you try that. 
It's, it's a needle in a haystack. It's daunting. There's a rather daunting question. It's disturbing uh, that faces us here as we read this. Did Jesus disobey his parents? Did Jesus break the fifth commandment to honour your father and mother? That's a really serious question, isn't it? Was this an act of teenage rebellion? If you were anyone else, you might assume some level of pig-headedness going on, whether it's willful or whether it's just at least thoughtlessness, but there's some strong emotional language here, and it comes up a little bit later from his parents. And it makes it really hard to reconcile this when you're looking at things from Joseph and Mary's perspective. But we should note that it's actually the family who have left. They've made an assumption and they've gone ahead without him. And it wouldn't be right for Jesus to simply head off home alone in the hope of catching up with them. Uh, Luke's recorded Jesus' stages of growth as a child, then as a boy, unknowingly caused this grief to his parents. And we heard in that song before about his two natures, fully God, fully man, meaning he had a human nature that he grew into. He had to learn social skills and reading and writing just as you or I do or are trying to. He's capable of unknowingly causing his parents distress. But you could say as a sinless being, he was incapable of knowingly doing it. It's one of those double negatives that's confusing. But Jesus is sinless. He must be, otherwise sin cannot be paid for at the cross. Uh, You might know the Heidelberg Confession, uh, Catechism, that great summary of uh, biblical truth. Having issues with this today, I don't know why. There we go. It says this, He must be a righteous man because one who is himself a sinner cannot pay for others. See, Jesus himself will answer this question and then some, and we'll come to that in just a moment. But for now, let's just reflect on this search for Jesus. Looking for Jesus means searching for him in the right places. And the account so far that we've looked at says more about his parents' lack of understanding of who Jesus really was. And perhaps you have assumptions about him too that need correction. Perhaps you haven't entirely come to grips with who he is. Or maybe, as Joseph and Mary once did, you have headed off in a direction in your life without any regard for Jesus. And the journey just isn't working out as you'd expected. And you might relate to that need to turn back and to seek Jesus. So we're about to discover just how remarkable this 12-year-old Jesus truly is and what he has to teach us. So it's a full three days that pass until they find him. Uh, If you look with me at verse 46. Go to the next one. Sorry, we'll get you to control it, Shane. Thanks. Having issues there. Yeah, finding the Son of God. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So imagine this. Here's Jesus sitting with these teachers of the law as a model student. 
Uh, and this would have been equivalent to a year seven student sitting with a, a university faculty in the lecture hall, you know, engaging their interest in conversation. And he's given plenty of time to, to make that impression. It's an amazing moment. But wait, there's more. Look at the reaction to Jesus. All those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. He's not just asking the right questions. He's answering them too. His understanding beyond his years. And there's something of a hint here to the kind of interaction that he will have later on with these teachers of the law. Uh, but here, he actually learns from them. Later on, he will put the religious leaders on the spot and he will question their fundamental loyalties and their stubborn-heartedness. He will silence them, but he will also face their vicious opposition all the way to the cross. But we need to see this as more than just a precocious child having their 15 minutes of fame. His growing understanding will one day mean he can stand firm against the devil's lies in the wilderness. He will refute his opponent's lack of biblical understanding and he will teach his followers how all of Scripture points to him. He is the Son of God. But let's come back to his parents. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astounded. Now, that word behind that is a really strong word. It means they weren't just relieved to find him, they were dumbfounded or, or shell-shocked. Uh, and they're simply overwhelmed. Uh, I don't know if your mum has ever used language like this with you. Have a look. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I... Uh, my mum's used that of me. Uh, but it's really strong language, and it might even be a little bit unnerving for you. It's actually a natural reaction to a really traumatic moment in their lives. But it is not Jesus who's really at fault. Mary and Joseph have forgotten all those promises that were given to them that we've seen so far in, in Luke 1 and 2. Uh, and that's why Jesus highlights in verse 49... This is this key verse here. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? So he's saying, you should have known where I would be. They've forgotten. Uh, it could also be translated, I was about my father's business. And so they just don't understand him and they haven't yet fully grasped who he is. They haven't understood all these promises that they've heard about him at his birth or when he was presented at the temple all those years before. They should have known. But then again, often even those closest to Jesus took time to actually process who he was and what he was about. His disciples would spend years together with him and still not quite get him until the Holy Spirit opens their minds and then they are transformed. The whole reason Jesus came was to be about his father's business. He is God's son and so he's on about God's purposes. Uh, there's a church council in the 5th century, uh, Shane, if you throw this up, that met to uh, summarise what the church believed. Little, I'll read it out for you. 
Uh, so this is the Council of Chalcedon. He's, they say he is at once complete Godhead and complete in manhood. Truly God, truly man. That's kind of where we've come from in terms of understanding it. This is like 5th century. Of one substance with the Father as regards to his Godhead and at the same time one substance with us with regard to his manhood like us in all respects, apart from sin. He has two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. And that statement has really been used ever since through church history, and you'll find it pops up in all sorts of confessions and creeds. Uh, We've been declaring this, holding fast to this reality, Uh, ever since. Again, the the catechism is really helpful, Shane, if you go to this one. Uh, This says, who is that mediator who is at the same time true God and true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And there's another one from the 16th century that says that he is true God and true man, true God in order to conquer death by his power and true man that he might die for us in the weakness of his human nature. And all of that has its basis in Scripture. It is something of a mystery as to how this is possible, these two realities at the same time, but it's true. So Paul says this, 1 Timothy 3, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is the Son of God. And we need to grapple with who he really is and perhaps take some time to really study it for ourselves. Well, finally today, we're going to look at how we apply this to our lives I'm not sure how you're going in the area of obedience to your mum and dad. Uh, This says in verse 51 that Jesus went back home to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. God intends for each of us to do the same. Uh, It's part of his careful design for humanity that we listen to our own good. Uh, And the thing is, things fall apart quite seriously, when you don't. The three-year-old who is armed with the metal spoon near an electrical socket needs to listen to their dad. It's okay to be told, no, stop, wait. There's no postmodernism at play in that situation. It takes training to cross a busy road with your mum. When there's a cement mixer heading for you at 60 kilometres an hour, You're not going to survive that impact. And so free-range parenting really has its limitations in those moments, doesn't it? And Jesus needed to listen and learn. So what needs to switch off the device when they've been told to, to be able to get enough sleep at night? The 15-year-old needs to keep their word about when they're going to be home. And these things, when when they're broken, there's relational damage that can actually be catastrophic for society as a whole. So Romans chapter 1, let's put this up, it puts being disobedient to your parents 
right alongside being foolish, faithless, heartless and ruthless. It can put into motion patterns of rebellion and self-seeking that can actually destroy your life. Uh, One commentator I heard put it this way. He said, without this fundamental pillar, the support structures needed for a healthy society are deeply impacted. Structures between generations can all but collapse, leading to family breakdown, where the disobedient 12-year-old eventually becomes the 22-year-old facing Christmas alone. So kids, please understand that your parents haven't put me up to this today. This is what the Bible actually teaches for your good. Uh, There's elsewhere in the New Testament. Let's put these passages up, Shane, uh, where there are really clear instructions for children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably need to stop yourself from trying to think about all the possible exceptions to these rules or trying to wriggle your way out of it, but actually instead reflect on all the times where you haven't done this and things didn't go so well for you. Part of growing up is discovering that there are boundaries and you need to learn to say sorry and learn from your mistakes. None of this us gets this right, kids and parents alike. Jesus' parents didn't get it right. So we've got to have grace with each other. Only Jesus obeyed perfectly. Only Jesus is without sin, which makes him so special. Well, let's get back into Luke. Look at what his mother did next. She kept all these things in her heart. Literally, she treasured these things in her heart. I've always loved the way it says that. It's a beautiful phrase, Uh, but we need to think about it because it actually might mean something a little bit different to how you might understand it today. For the time, the heart was considered the place of your thought life. It was kind of where you had a conversation with yourself. Uh, And in a sense, uh, for those days, you, you felt with your guts, but you thought with your heart. And so this is actually saying that Mary reflected deeply about all of this and even committed it to memory. And it's possible that Mary kept careful notes about all that, was ha- all that had happened and all that was said. Perhaps she didn't fully understand everything, but she knew something ringed true about what was, being, what was happening around her. And it's actually likely that Mary was Luke's number one eyewitness to all the events recorded in his opening two chapters. So it's actually kind of Mary's recount because she treasured these things in her heart. And if you look back, uh, there's verse 19 where she meditated on this. Uh, So there's kind of the parallel passage there. Absolutely, it's a matter of the heart, but of your mind too. And there are careful facts that are reported here that you and I need to reflect on deeply. So is Mary's response your response? Do you take time to reflect on God's promises to you and see what this means for your life? So if we look at the final verse in Luke chapter 2, Jesus increased in, in wisdom and stature 
and in favour with God and with people. Jesus grew up in his humanity. He needed to keep learning, keep growing. Joseph disappears off the scene entirely. It's really the last we hear of him here. Uh, Jesus is later on called the carpenter from Nazareth. So it's a fair assumption there that he took on the family business and he may well have needed to help raise his younger siblings. And we don't hear from him or the family until he starts his ministry some 18 years later. It's interesting. That word for grace, for favour there is the same word for grace. Uh, for Jesus, it was a grace that emanated from the Father because of his love for the Son. For you and me, it's an undeserved favour because of what Jesus achieved. His perfect obedience brought about a perfect acceptance before God your Father. And Romans 2, if we put this up, says, We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. You don't graduate away from grace. You don't leave grace behind you in your walk with God. As a Christian, you stand in grace each and every day. I've met Christians who are nervous about where they stand with God. They think he is somehow still angry with them or struggle to believe that he really is a God of mercy and forgiveness. You might know that you're saved by grace, but you still think you'll be in a heap of trouble if you ever put a foot wrong and you live a level of nervousness that is not freedom, that somehow God will retract his offer from you and withdraw from your life. If that's you, you need to look again to see how God's grace works. We grow in it just as Jesus did. Others notice just as they did with Jesus. He learnt to walk and talk. He, he needed to learn just as we do. There's a sense in which he grew un, into an understanding of who he was and what his ministry was going to be. And so it's the same too for you and me. If you're on the search for Jesus, you're wanting to know more about him, can I encourage you to keep reading through one of the Gospels? Uh, those weekly uh, readings that we have printed off there, uh, they start off going through Mark's Gospel uh, and that is a great beginning to learn about the life of Jesus. Uh, it's also good preparation for when we'll start that uh, in a few Sundays' time together uh, as we go through that through first term. You might have noticed the odd-looking QR codes on the bottom of the sermon outline as well. Uh, the first is this website, which is all about Jesus. Uh, it's called Consider Jesus. I've put this together. It's just lots of links and articles and videos all about Jesus, and that might be a good place for you to go and learn more for yourself. Uh, it might be something you can share with a friend. Uh, the others are really for your interest. If you're needing more on the hypostatic union of Christ, well, there's some bedtime reading for you a bit later. See, the more you discover about Jesus, the more you realise just how incredible he really is and how much you need him. He is the God-man. He is the incarnate Son of God who came as one of us. He is so extraordinary that even a 12-year-old Jesus can teach you something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. 
Thank you for the promise that when we seek you, we will find you, when we seek you with all our heart. Thank you for the perfect obedience of your son. That means we can approach the throne of grace freely. Would you help each one of us here, young and old, to grow in grace before you and before one another, that we might follow Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. In the Spirit's power and in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.